you've been coming a long time, it's good to see you. If you're brand new, it's an honor to have you. Uh, I thanks so much for being here today. Uh, we're, uh, we're excited about being here in this new series we're going we're gonna to dive into in just a minute. If you're brand new, just want you to know that we exist to know Christ, make him known, enjoy the journey. That's what we're after. It's not super complicated. That's just what we're after. It's what we're about. We're trying to do that together because we know that together is better than, than alone. And so we, we dive into today this, this series called Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. What a title for, for, for a sermon series. But the reality is it's in the scriptures, and we want to talk about that and, and, and actually adapted this series from a series of a mentor of mine named Mike Bro, and it's going to be a great series, really practical. It's about a man named Solomon. He's very wealthy, he was very powerful, charismatic, influential, and uh, now Solomon's at the end of his life, and he's reflecting on this journey to pursue happiness and, and satisfaction, and he tries to answer the question, which is, what's the point of life? What is the point to living? And that's what this whole book of Ecclesiastes is all about. I want to encourage you to be in that over this next month as we uh, dive in throughout this series. Solomon writes down all of these things in his journal that becomes this book known as the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be amazed just the practical things that are in the relevant stuff that's in there, the, the preventative things that, that move us away from, from the things that really wreck our lives and destroy our hearts and our relationships and things like that. We really hope that you'll be here for, for all five weeks in this series. Uh, in this series, you're going to find Solomon say this over and over again, don't do what I did. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had people in your life, maybe it's your parents or grandparents or somebody that you looked up to, and they're able to pour out to you just insight and, and wisdom from their own experience. But, but, but hearing someone say, hey, don't go down this road. Don't do what I did is crucial. It's critical. Don't pursue happiness and fulfillment the way I, I did. Don't, don't look at relationships the way I did. Don't settle for something less than an intimate relationship with God, the lover of your soul. I'm begging you, don't let success drive you. Don't let this idea of seeking approval from other people consume you. Never, ever isolate yourself. Surround yourself with godly community. And don't ignore God. At the end of this book, he says, remember God. Don't forget God, especially when you're young. Don't miss out on the opportunities to walk with God, be consumed with God. Allow God to shape your life and, and move you in the right direction. He will say these words over and over again. It's like chasing after the wind. He will try this thing, and he'll, he'll try this thing, and he'll try this thing. At the end of it, he'll realize that, you know what, these things in particular don't ever bring satisfaction or true joy or true meaning or true purpose. It's, it's the word meaningless. In this commentary of Ecclesiastes, Michael Eden, he writes this about this book. Ecclesiastes defends the life of faith in a generous God by pointing to the grimness of the alternative. And so in this book, we're going we're gonna to look at this idea of who Solomon was and what his life was like. And if you've ever had people in your life, you know, spoil things, uh, you know, maybe you went to see the movie Sixth Sense and somebody, anybody go to see that movie and someone told you about what was going to happen beforehand that, that Bruce Willis was actually dead, anybody, or Titanic, you know, I, anyway, you should have already known that or you should blame your teachers. But I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here, okay, just in the idea of the backside of this book. This is what Solomon concludes after, after trying all these things, after pursuing all these things, after chasing all these things. This is what he says, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Now that all this has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. What Solomon is saying is when it's all said and done, life is about walking with God. It's about respecting his authority. It's about doing life the way that God intended for you to live. It's chasing after him. It's, it's embracing the truth that's found in his wisdom. It's, it's allowing his love to embrace and dictate your life. It's finding your identity 
in him and him alone. That's the heartbeat of all of this. Don't do what I did. Don't wreck your life. Walk with God. Reach out and find your true potential in him. Walk with God and find true freedom and meaning and deep satisfaction. Solomon, his life he began with so, such promise. Uh, if you think about some of these athletes and they come out and they have, they have it all and then all of a sudden they, just, they, they get in front of themselves or they get in their own way and they, they wreck themselves. You can read about his life in First, Ch- First Kings in the Old Testament, the Bible. He was second the second son of David Bathsheba. Solomon was smart, he was handsome, he was charismatic, he, he loved the Lord. He was, he was given the keys to the kingdom by his, by his father David to, to rule Israel, to, to, to be a part of that and to be the king. Um, Solomon was really humble, he was dependent on God, he was overwhelmed, and, and actually one night when he was asleep, God came to him in a dream and said, hey Solomon, I have one request for you, ask anything you want. Solomon in, in his dream thought, this vision thought, you know what I'm going to ask for? I'm going to ask for wisdom. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to lead these people. God, give me wisdom to lead well. And God was so um, humbled by his response that God said, I will give you uncommon wisdom to lead your people. And I will also give to you many, many more things. I will bless you with wealth and prosperity and influence and everything else that you'll need, Solomon. And when Solomon was young, he wrote several books of the Bible, and, and when he was dependent on, on, on this relationship with God, he wrote this book called Song of Songs, which is about a man and a woman who unite in marriage with God, and it's a beautiful book, and it's, a, it's about this idea of this marriage relationship and, and striving to chase the ten that God desires for us. And then uh, even after that, he writes this book uh, of wisdom known as the book of Proverbs, and, and it's an amazing book. If you've not read it, it's just a lot of amazing insight for us as we live in our everyday lives and in our relationships. And here's the reality though, it's one thing. It's one thing to have wisdom, to know the right thing. It's another thing to actually do it, right? I mean, we can have all the wisdom, we can have all the knowledge and and still go down the wrong road or do the wrong thing or not create the right habits for us. I know this as a teacher, you can possess all this wisdom and you know what, you can still blow up your life or or end up in a train wreck relationally or in your marriage or in your family because you you don't allow God's wisdom to sink into your life and apply it to your lives. We want to be people that are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And what's interesting here is that, that, that even though Solomon had all this wisdom, he started off so well, he, it, it gets sideways. Instead of seeking after God, Solomon began seeking after pleasure. The pursuit of happiness became his God. And maybe that's some of your stories. I know that it's a lot of our stories in this room. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Look at what, he's, look at what it says. Now, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, Okay. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from uh, among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your heart to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. It's a lot of us all the time. We, We see this path and we go, it's probably... seems good. And God says no. And we go, you know what? Thank you, God. But no, I'm going to do my own thing. It says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. So like King Solomon like just like destroys the Bachelor or Hugh Hefner or Drake, you name any, any stud that's out there, like he has them... Uh, in a long run. I mean, that's just the reality of his life. And now at the end of Solomon's life, he's saying, hey, listen, don't do what I did. Don't pursue 
this idea of pleasure. Do life God's way. And when you let pleasure drive your life, it will always only lead you to bad places. It'll wreck it. That's Solomon's conclusion. I want to talk about the introduction to this book. It is riveting. I mean, you're going to be so blown away at the first few words of this book. You're going to go, just let me read more, all right? Here's what it says, first, for, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, these are the words of the teacher. This is, this is Solomon, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. Meaningless is everything, says the teacher, completely Meaningless. How about that? I mean, who wants to call Solomon and say, hey, I'd love for you to come and, and do, be a motivational speaker for our company. It's like, no, we're not having you. I mean, that's just the reality. But, but he's, he's not inspiring. He, he's not motivating at all. He, he uses this word meaningless 38 times in this book. He's pursued everything. He's tried it all. And at the end of it, he says, you know what? Life under the sun, all these pursuits, they're meaningless. The Hebrew word for the word meaningless is the word habel. Say the word habel. Habel means this, it means to be empty, it means futile, it means a vapor that, that, that vanishes and quickly and leaves nothing behind. That's the way Solomon viewed his life. Another guy that, that set up this book and talks about uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, life is a blister on top of a tumor and a boil on top of that. I mean, how would you like to be like friends with this guy? Invite him to your life group. Like, seriously, really, dude? You know? And, and here's another uh, person who talks about the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is an onion, and you peel it one layer at a time, and sometimes you weep. And in this book, Solomon weeps a ton over the mistakes in his life. He can't get no satisfaction. An old man looking back on his life going, man, why, why did I go there? Why did I chase that? Why do I, I engage in those things? It's chasing the wind. It's a vapor. It's like popping a soap bubble, and as soon as you pop it, it's gone. There's nothing there, nothing that stands Psalm's failure to, to trust God had a tragic impact on his life, on those around him, even the kingdom of Israel that he, that he ruled and reigned over. If you want to check that out, 1 First, First Kings chapter 11 talks about just this down spiral of, of, of the people of Israel because of his lack of leadership. And I don't have to tell you this. You know this. Consequences are always there for our actions. Maybe they're good consequences or maybe they're bad. They're always these ripple effects that make their way into people that we care about, people that we love. And this happened in Solomon's life, and it, it worked its way into the, the, the nation that he ruled. It's interesting because there's a, there's a passage that some of you have memorized. Maybe you even have it on a bookmark or you have it on a plaque in your house, and it's this. It's, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Solomon wrote these words. He wrote these words. And I, I can't imagine thinking about, uh, to this book of Ecclesiastes, thinking Solomon goes, man, I wish I could have just stuck to these words. I wish I could have just continued to keep my eyes on him and put my trust in him and not lean in any way on my own understanding. He's telling us, hey, lean away from your own understanding, friends. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. Trust the Lord. And he will make your path straight. A life apart from God, in Solomon's words, is Habel. It's futile, it's void, it's empty. It's, an, it's a pursuit that takes you nowhere. So, so we're gonna dive in today and talk about some of these things. I don't know if you've ever seen these toys. Anybody ever have one of these toys? It's got all these, got all these shapes in it. Anybody have these toys at home? Anybody have one of these? This was, uh, this was the ACT test for me in Kentucky. It's where I'm from. But 
But this is, this is one of those toys where when you're a little kid, it's super frustrating. I mean, I, I remember watching my kids, they, they had these toys, and they would try to figure out ways to put this in, and they're trying to jam it in, you know, they're getting frustrated. It's like, no, no, you got to turn the box, and they're trying to find it, and it gets super, super frustrating. I think that this is a metaphor for our world, because there are so many people in our world just trying to jam something into something, hoping that it's going to have meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction, and they just keep trying to jam something in there, and it just doesn't work, and they get frustrated. They get frustrated because there's a lot of people trying to figure out what it is that they need for happiness or what it is that they're looking for in meaning, what it is that they're, they're trying to find in purpose, and they try to put all these shapes into these spots, and they just, they just don't fit. You see, all in, inside of all of us is a God-shaped hole. And, and the fact is, is we, we live in a world where our, our culture says this. We've got people that tell us, hey, listen, go chase this. Go do this. Just try to jam this in there and see if it will work. And we get frustrated and we keep trying this shape and we try the next shape and we try the next shape. And that's Solomon's life. That was my life, the first 17 years of my life. Just trying to figure out what is it that, that gives me meaning? What is it will, that will give me hope? What is it that will help me through and, and help me navigate through the, the pain in my own story? That's a lot of your stories. It's a lot of your past. Some of you, maybe this is your, 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 your world today. You keep trying to jam this square peg into this round hole, and it, it just, no matter what you do, it just, won't, it just won't work. And that's Solomon's story. And today, we're going to look at all the square pegs that Solomon tried to jam into this round hole. And, and I want to begin by just saying this, and this is, this is so true. Deep within our hearts is a godlike shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big. No heart is too small. Jesus is the answer. He, he fits them all. So we're going to look at Solomon's pursuit today of this overarching piece of pleasure. And so if you've got your outline, go ahead and dive into that with us. Uh, this will be helpful for you to kind of follow along. After pleasure, Solomon goes toward the square peg of laughter and entertainment. Okay? How many of you like laughter and entertainment? Let me see your hands. Okay? I love comedians. I love funny stories. I love funny jokes. I love playing practical jokes. I love being a part of practical jokes as long as they're not on me. I love laughter. I do. But you know this. Laughter can also, also mask things in our lives. It can mask pain. It can mask our true identity. You know, if you go back, think back to school or college or whatever, the guy that was the loudest or the, the most obnoxious of the class clown, just maybe he was one of the loneliest, most approval-seeking people that you've ever run, in, run into. I don't know if you've ever heard of this actor. His name's Shiloh LaBeouf. He's a handsome guy, known for uh, a lot of the action movies. He's been a part of Fury. I love that movie. Indiana Jones, the Transformer movies. If you've seen anything about his life outside of his movies, you know that this is a guy that just has chased a bunch of things and gotten himself in trouble, gotten his own way and self-sabotaged his own life. And, and he's actually interviewed in Parade Magazine. This is what it says. This is very interesting. Sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in, in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it, it, it could all change. I mean, man, it could all go away. You never know. I, I just don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think that they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. And if I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. What he knows is that square pegs don't fit in round holes. Because deep within our hearts is a godlike shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big, no heart is too small. Jesus is the answer. He fits them all. 
So Solomon runs to the next square peg and it ends up being alcohol or wine. And, and he decides, you know what, laughter's not enough. Let me throw a little wine on top of this. And it says here in Ecclesiastes 2.3, it says, After much thought, I, dec- I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. That's a big statement, underline that. I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. He says, hey, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else seems like they're having a good time. I mean, they, he's seen the beer commercials. He's seen the parties. He's seen the stuff online. He goes, you know what? I'm just going to get hammered. I'm going to try it. I'm going to chase this and see what happens, see if it will actually fulfill my life. So he gets crazy. And it's one thing to get crazy with very little money. It's another thing to throw a party when you've got, like, endless amounts of money. I mean, he could throw a party. Kegger, whatever it looked like. I mean, he's going, hey, listen, come to the palace, right? The beer and the wine is flowing. I mean, I got, I got all these, 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 these screens, these flat screens everywhere. We're going to watch Monday Night Football. I got a pig in the ground. I got the beer on ice. And all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. You know, you wanted me to sing that. I just I couldn't do it. But anyway, in that, way too many of us have, have gone down this road, right? That could have been our story. That is our story. We chase this in an effort to, 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 to let loose of, to try to forget about, to try to numb, to try to find fulfillment. And, and we know that it ends up being a, a dead-end street. There's a bunch of us that went down this road. Bottle of wine, keg of beer, hard stuff, a few joints, cocaine, some crystal meth. They're all square pegs that don't fit. They send us into deeper places. Frustration, pain purposelessness, an addiction that wrecks our lives, destroys our families. It is like chasing after the wind. Solomon keeps chasing. In your notes, he goes after the square peg of stuff. Look at the next verse. He tries to buy buildings and buy happiness. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 6. He says, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. Solomon went like HGTV on, on his life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get the dream home. I'm going to get these countertops. I'm going to buy the square footage. I'm going to get this million dollar view. I'm going to get this yard, this nice reservoir. And became obsessed with external surroundings in an effort to pursue happiness, to, to pursue this thing that might make him satisfied. Maybe a little indication in his life that his priorities are out of whack. I don't know if you know this, but uh, in First Kings, it talks about how Solomon, it took him seven years to build God's temple. So, so God put this command on his life, and he builds this temple for God. It took seven years. For Solomon, as he began to build his, his monstrosity, his, his, his estate, it took him 13 years, almost twice as long. Maybe a little indication that his priorities were way, way out of whack. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 2, 7 and 8. I bought slaves, both men and women. Others were born into my household. I owned large herds and flocks, more than any king who lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. All stuff. Will stuff finally, inevitably, Give me peace, satisfaction, joy. He bought slaves, livestock, herds, flocks. He 
had people everywhere. He, 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 he had more than any other king. He's kind of a bragger here. He collected silver and gold from conquering other kingdoms. He hired the best bands to come and perform for him at his place. He hired concubines, live-in mistresses for the sole purpose of sexual fulfillment, square pegs in a round hole. Deion Sanders, I don't know if you remember this athlete, he was one of the best defensive backs of all time. A lot of people don't like him because he was kind of cocky or a showman. I love the way he played the game. His nickname was Primetime. And Primetime, when he was a kid, it was very shy, very insecure, and, 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 and he would use this name eventually, Primetime, to kind of uh, mask him of his insecurity and his pain, and, and eventually he would retire. And, and at, at his Hall of, Hall of Fame induction speech, he broke down. He thanked his mom for the way that she sacrificed for him. You know, just getting a bunch of different jobs so that she could support their family while they did what they did. And, and he said this. He said in, in, in this speech, he said, "If your dream is all about yourself, your dream is way too small." And then later in his career, Deion Sanders would eventually. Uh, meet Christ, encounter him, and be changed forever. And he wrote this in his autobiography. Uh, He said these words. They're going to be on the screens. He said this, Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting in the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, tears running down my face, saying to myself, This is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry, gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything this world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. The Bible describes this in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as chasing after the wind, and that's exactly what this was like. Dion's a fast dude, and what he's saying to us today is, you know what? You, can outrun, you cannot outrun the wind. You can't capture it. You can't, you can't contain it. I love what Solomon says next, Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11. He says, so I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I found great, great pre- pleasure in, in hard work, a reward for all my labors, but as I looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish, it was so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Look at some of those statements. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I tried it all. Solomon never went to a garage sale. He never shopped at Walmart. He never clipped a coupon. He never even looked at a price tag. Anything he wanted, he got. Solomon tried everything. Another square peg in this passage is work and worldly success. We try this. We try accomplishments, success. We try climbing the corporate ladder. We try performance. We try to make sure that we've got the best grades so that when people look at us or our test scores or whatever it is, look at me, look at me, look at me. And at the end of it, Solomon says it's a bell. It's meaningless. And then he says this at the end of verse 11. He says, there was really nothing worthwhile anywhere. He puts that in his book because he's hoping that one day somebody, somewhere, And Blue Springs would open this up and go, hey, listen, don't chase this stuff. It's not good for you. It wasn't good for me. It won't be good for you. It's not good for anybody. It's it's meaningless. It's a bell. It's a chasing after the wind. It is a square peg in a round hole. And 
Henry Cloud's book, it's called The Law of Happiness. It's a great book. And he says this. He says, when we are pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we're actually ignoring the things that, will, that give us the opportunity to be happy. So when we get caught up in some of these things, we get wrapped up in these things, we miss out on the things that actually will make us happy because God's blessed us with so many things and we don't always realize it, we're not always grateful for it because we end up saying these words like, if only. Like, if only I, I could make this on this grade or if only I could just have a little bit more money. If only I had a boyfriend or girlfriend or if only I was married. If only I got that promotion. If only I had this home or I sold this home. If only had a different job or drove a different car or had a different spouse or had different kids or had a different body. If only, fill in the blank, I'd be happy. It's almost like back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve, they had everything. All the trees, all the fruit, it all belonged to, to him. And, and there was this one tree and the enemy zero, zeroes in on it. Even after God says, hey, listen, don't go there. Don't go down this road. Everything else belongs to you. And he comes and he whispers, no, it's that tree. It's that one right there in the middle of the garden. It's that one is, is, is what will bring you happiness. It's that one that will bring you complete satisfaction and joy. It's that one. That's your purpose right there. God's holding on on you. And so we go after this fruit that will never, ever satisfy us. Research shows that none of these things ever satisfy it. Solomon was dead right. I love it when research continually supports the word of God. I love it when we begin to realize that happiness based on pleasure-seeking and approval-getting and possession-building, they will make us happy for like a spell, and it's like a vapor. It's here, and then it goes. It goes away. You know this. You get a job, and, and you like the job. It's, it makes you happy, or you get this stuff, and it makes you happy. You get an A. It makes you happy for a season. You, you make the team. You get a brand-new car. Whatever it is, it will make you happy for a season, for a while, and then it goes. Solomon says, like a vapor, like chasing the wind. It's like a gallon of milk marked October 9th. It's here today, but it will not last. Happiness expires, gateway. Square pegs in God-shaped holes. I mean, just walk in your kid's room. Think about their Christmas list that they had last year that they had to have, and you go and you look into the room and you try to find these toys. Where are they? Who knows? They don't know either. And what's interesting is that as we, get, as we grow up and we get older, it seems like that never goes away. Our happiness is not based upon external things. Write this down. God hardwired us to be empty if we're filled up with anything but him. Let me say it again. God hardwired us to be empty on the inside, on purpose, if we're filled up with anything other than God. In his book, Dr. Cloud's book on the law of happiness, he talks about what it means to be happy, and he kind of gives you these, these different chapters. I'll just kind of give you the big pieces of it. Here it is. Happy people are givers. They don't think about it just being about themselves. They're generous. They, they live beyond themselves. Happy people are not lazy people about happiness. They're intentional about their life. They're proactive about what they do. Happy people don't wait for someday. They don't. They live in the moment. They're grateful for what they have, and they're continuing to press forward and look ahead. Happy people pursue goals. They have dreams and, and, and plans and pictures in life that are bigger than, than, than they are today. Happy people fully engage. They don't sit on the edge of the pool and, and hope that something happens to them. They, they dive in cannonball style and they, they get engaged. They, they engage life. 
Happy people don't compare themselves. They refuse to compete with others. They, confuse, they refuse to compare themselves with other people. They just say, hey, look at my yard. It's a wonderful shade of brown. It's no big deal, you know? Happy people think well. They think about good things. They, 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 they hold on to godly thoughts, pursue godly wisdom. They hold on to God's truth. Happy people are grateful people. They're not always looking over the fence to what they wish they had. They, they look at what they have and they thank God for it. Happy people forgive. They don't carry grudges. They don't harbor resentment. They don't hold on to bitterness. They forgive. Happy people have a calling in their lives. They have a sense of calling that is greater than themselves, something that they're called to accomplish that's bigger than them and a legacy that they want to leave behind. Happy people have faith. They have faith. They walk with God. Happy people, they don't chase after happiness. They chase after God. And guess what? Happiness finds them. That's the reality. Every day they're intentional about their lives. They live in the awareness of God's presence and his goodness. They live in the moment. They trust God regardless of come hell or high water. They, they know that he's there, he's with them, that his grace is enough. So let me just ask you today as we wrap up this talk, how are you doing? Are you happy? Are you chasing the wind? Are you allowing pleasure to drive your decisions, drive your life? What are the square pegs you're trying to put in these round holes because no matter how hard you jam and cram them in, it will not satisfy. Are you grateful? Are you grateful for what you have? If not, why not? Are you walking with God? Are you able to see him as your heavenly father who loves you and cares for you and longs to provide everything that you will ever need, maybe not all the things that you want, but only everything that you will ever need in your life, and he's here for you. He's faithful. He's never gonna leave you. Dr. Cloud writes this. When we are not eating the fruit of the good life that God created, I think that we know what is going to satisfy us. Instead, we can, we'll continue to go hungry, unsatisfied, unhappy, and unfulfilled. Jesus put it this way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, for they will be filled. And I love what the message says. It says, you're blessed when you're worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal that you'll ever eat. Here it is. Happiness is not a feeling. Happiness is a knowing. It's knowing God. It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing why you're on the planet. It's knowing his purposes for your life, knowing that he's enough for you. Because deep within our hearts is a God-like shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big. No heart is too small. Jesus is the answer. He fits them all. So I want to invite you today. Solomon invites us today, and God invites us today to stop chasing the wind. Stop this endless pursuit of trying to just cram square pegs into a round, God-shaped hole. Because if we'll just chase God and find our, our purpose and identity in him, guess what? We'll find satisfaction. We'll find happiness. We'll find fulfillment. We'll find identity. We'll find purpose. David said this, Solomon's dad, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. You want your pursuit of happiness to be over. It's found in knowing your creator who loves you, who sent his son to die for you so that he can redeem and restore your life. No matter what you've done, where you've been, you've been down this road with Solomon. God says, no, 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 I'm enough for you. 
Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible. Let me pray, and then Corey's going to wrap us up. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you so much for this first installment, just looking at Solomon's life. And gosh, God, I can't even imagine the mistakes, the pain of his life. But yet, I can because I can think about my own. Think about my endless pursuits to engage pleasure and to find approval and to go it alone and to miss out on your guardrails that you have for us. And God, today, I pray that you would just... God, whatever it is, help us to take something with us. Help us to take some truth with us. Help us to realize that you are a loving Father that gave us this thing called life, and you want us to allow it to to be lived well. God, some of us today, we are with this toy trying trying to jam these shapes into these wrong holes, and God, we're just frustrated. God, maybe some are here today for the first time. They're just looking for hope. They're trying to figure out, do you really love us? Can you really forgive us? Do you really have a plan for us? Are you really there for us? God, the answer is yes. God, thank you for this amazing book known as Ecclesiastes so that we could uh, get a look at, at this guy named Solomon who chased it all and at the end of his life figured out that it's just you. You are the answer. So we put our trust in you today. We pray for those in this room who have yet to do that and we ask, Lord, that you would give them an opportunity, give them boldness and courage to talk to somebody today about what it means to follow you, give their lives to you, find their identity in Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. So I wanted to give you a quick financial update just as we kind of closed out the year. We're getting ready to officially close out the year, but we have some preliminary numbers uh, that are uh, unaudited. And I just want to let you know that our budget year, our 2016 budget year runs from September 1st of 2015 to August 31st of 2016. So I'm just going to give you uh, some highlights, some summaries. If you have any questions about details, uh, then feel free to see any of the leadership team, and we'd be happy to get you that information. We don't have anything to hide, and we have a a really good uh, financial story that we can tell here at Gateway. So moving to our income, we had $781,000 of total income. $689,300 of that was from income was income from tithes and offerings. So this is the highest in Gateway history, and it's 126,000 more than our previous year of 563,000. So that is very awesome, and we're very excited about that. Our online giving makes up 48% of our tithes and offerings. So if that's an option that you haven't looked into yet, and that's something that works well for you, please please feel free to check that out. So a little more on our income, and that's we had a one-time gift from a family of $50,000, and the reason that I bring that up is just to, we want to celebrate the things that happen that are exciting, that, that God moves in people and he causes them to be generous, and so we just, we just want to thank that family. We also want to thank the family that gives $1, because here's the truth about money, all right? $1 or $50,000, your gift matters. It matters a lot. So I just want to thank you for your generosity. And here's the deal. As a leadership team, when we sit around and we, look, we talk about money, we try to figure out what to do, all right, we don't see piles of money, okay? We see, we see one more person going on a missions trip. We see one more person walking through that door. We see one more baptism. We see one more adoption funded. And we see one more person discipling someone else. This, these are the things that we talk about when we talk about money. It is not just about money. Moving on to the expenses, we, have, uh, we had $542,900 of actual expenses. That doesn't include the budgeted savings that we set aside for the building. 
but we were $17,100 under our budgeted amount of $560,000. And that's only a $30,000 increase from our previous year. So we're trying really hard to be frugal, and our ministry teams are doing a good job of sticking to their budget. Our current balances, these are as of September 23rd of 2016. We have $74,000 in our checking account. We have $382,000 in our savings account for a total of $456,000. Now, $290,000 of this of this total is in liquid, non-designated cash. We're not about storing money for storing money's sake. All right? We're working towards a purpose. We're asking God, how can we use this money to further your kingdom? So last thing here is that at Gateway, we are about building people. We're not about money. We are about your attitude towards money. We're not afraid to talk about money because Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about money. Money is just one of the tools that we use to help build people. So again, this is a success story. Like we're, We want to talk about this because we're excited about what God is doing and we're about excited about where God is going to take us. So again, thank you for your generosity. Yes, thank you, whoever that was. Yes, thank you.